morning. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. There I am. Praise God. Hello. Well, we just want to welcome you to the class this morning. This is the discipleship class, and it's been going awesome. It has been such a great class, and we're glad that you get to be here and participate with us. And Miss Deb has it this morning in its own commitment. Commitment. Awesome. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, hopefully, I'm not talking too loud. Uh, this particular discipleship class, I think I've mentioned to a couple of people already this morning, this one stepped all over my toes. So don't be surprised if it maybe nudges up on your toes. In fact, at one point it kind of tugged on my ear a little bit. So this, is, this has been a really good exercise for me this week. So the lesson today is on commitment. So as we begin, what I want you guys to be thinking about is the commitments that you've made in your life. Think about the commitments you've made, right? Some of us have committed to be married. Some of us have committed to come to church, right? Some of us have committed to serve in the church. Some of us have committed to go to the beach every six weeks, right? All of us make different kinds of commitments. And what's interesting is um, as we read what God thinks about commitment, uh, I think it's, it'll be really eye-opening for everybody. So let's begin. So in Luke 14, verses 25 and 26, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And there, wait, there, and there went great multitudes with Jesus, and he turned and said unto them, at this time in Jesus' ministry, there was a multitude of people who followed Jesus. The English language really doesn't bring this out, but in the Greek language, this is an imperfect tense. This means that at this time, the great multitudes began to repeatedly and continuously follow Jesus. Perhaps it was because of his miracles or because he fed them. We don't know the exact reason, but great multitudes were following him. It was at this point that Jesus turned and deliberately said something which appears to have caused many people to turn and follow him no more. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. As I looked at that scripture, I thought, Lord, you can't mean that. What does the word hate mean? It probably means to love less or something like that. And as I began to study, I discovered that the word literally means hate. Jesus used the strongest possible word to emphasize a point. He said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, even your own life, you cannot be his disciple. I want to ask you something. What is the closest relationship you will ever have on this earth? It's your mother and father or your spouse and children. What happens if your wife turns against you and divorces you or your mother and father die? 
Who will stick with you then? It will be your brothers and sisters. Jesus said, unless you hate them, you can't be his disciple. So what is he saying? Jesus is talking about the closest relationships we will ever have on this earth. He is asking for a commitment from you, a commitment in which he is preeminent. He wants to be number one in your life. He is going to compare his relationship with you to the closest relationships you have on earth. Hate is a metaphor, a word of comparison. And Jesus is saying, my relationship with you is so important that I want it to be above all earthly things. There is one person, though, that you love more than your spouse, your children, your mother, your father, or your sisters and brothers. Do you know who that is? It's not God. It's you. You love yourself more than you love your closest relationships. Why do marriages break up? Why do people divorce? Because they love themselves more than they love their spouse. You're not you're not doing it like I want you to, so I'm getting rid of you. Jesus said, there is one relationship I want to be number one above, and it's your own selfish, your own selfish life. This is true discipleship. He is not talking about a no-cost discipleship. He's asking us to follow him. He's asking to be number one in our lives. So if your toes didn't get stepped on, like mine got stepped on, um, this, this was a really um, good lesson for me. All right, so we're going to start with some scripture. So who will read for me Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62? Barrett? Okay. And who will read Luke chapter 8, verses 13 and 14? John? Uh, we'll also post them. Nicole has them, so we'll put them up on the screen as well. So um, where'd the mic go? Oh, <laughs> it's like, where did it go? All right, so Barrett, can you please read Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62? Uh, I can. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So, question. What does this passage teach about the level of commitment toward following Christ? That it has to be above everything. I mean, the gentleman had had his father die, and Jesus said, following me is more important. The other one wanted to say goodbye to his family, and he said that following him was more important. So even though those are close ties that he has, Jesus' relationship with you has to come first, even above what is seemingly important here. 
So it's absolute. Absolutely. Absolute surrender. Absolutely, it's absolute. Right, we have to be all in. You can't just dip your toe in the water. You can't just go into your knees. Right, you can't go into your waist. You can't go into your neck. You got to go all in. Right, you got to be ready to cannonball into the end of the pool. And that's what this, these verses mean. It's absolute commitment, absolute surrender. Okay, John? So we're going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. So John, question. Why do some people seem to fall away or turn away from the Christian faith? They don't let the word of God get down past the surface level in their life. You've got to let it get down in you and germinate and give it time to grow up. But they... Take it, and it's almost like a passing fancy. I feel spiritual today. I'll get it, but I don't feel so spiritual tomorrow, so I'm going to leave it, and I'll come back to it on my time, you know, my time zone. You said it better than Andrew Womack. (laughs) Andrew's answer was, they have never put down a root system in the Word of God. The cares, riches, and pleasures of this life take them away. So that's absolutely, you nailed it. Okay, I need someone that can read Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verse 8. Volunteers, volunteers. Jeff? 16, 8. Mm-hmm, 16, 8. And then I need someone to read 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paige, you want those? Perfect. Okay, so Jeff? What version are we using? Just read them NLT. You can read them off the board. That'll help the people watching online. Absolutely. So it's Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 8. You see it? Yes, I'm good. Ezekiel 16, 8. And when I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love. So I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness, and I declared my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So God uses the illustration of marriage to describe a relationship with his people. Whose possession does one become in this relationship? You become the Lord's. Absolutely. You become God's. Perfect. <laughs> absolutely. We're all about absolutely today. Okay. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Okay. So I have two questions for you. Who do you belong to? God. Absolutely. And what does your body, and who, sorry, who does your body and your spirit belong to? God. Absolutely. Does it belong to you? No. (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Can I get someone to read James chapter 4, verse 4? Any volunteers? Rebecca? Oh, all right. George. Um, and then be prepared with Romans one twenty five. Okay? So we're going to do James 4, chapter 4. Yeah.
You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So the question is, can you commit spiritual adultery against God? Yes. Okay, and what would constitute spiritual adultery in God's eyes? Putting something above him. That's right. Um, a heart that is turned away from him to idols, uh, things that have made that we have made more important than God. And he references in here Romans 1, uh, or 1 verse 25. Do you want to read 1 verse 25? They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Perfect. All right. And then uh, lastly, a volunteer. I need a volunteer to read John 2. Verses 23 through 25. Rebecca. Okay, will you please come up? Thank you. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. Oh, let's turn on your mic. I think I turned it off. Sherman's signaling. There you go. Yep. Start back over. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. So what can we learn about commitment and faith from these verses? That we have to trust in Jesus. That Jesus wants all of our hearts. Absolutely. Perfect. And then we give all of our hearts, and then we can give all of our trust, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right? I keep saying absolutely. I'm stuck on absolutely now. All right. The last um, chapter and verses that they have here, I think I'm going to read. Uh, because I had the benefit of having this uh, with me, um, I actually did the exercise that it asks, asks us to do at the end, and maybe we can have a little dialogue, and maybe Brian will join me um, in having a dialogue with everyone about this particular chapter and verse. So, uh, Abigail, if you would put up Luke 14, verses 28 through 30. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's that person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. So the question here is, have you counted the cost to follow Jesus? It's a really powerful question. And I've been sitting on it all week. So the next question is, do you want to follow him? So over the last couple of days, I've actually taken the time to count the cost. And what I'd like each of us to do is really think about what are the costs to being Jesus' disciple. Okay, so these are some things that I personally wrote down. Okay, so I wrote committing to attending service every Sunday. What does that mean? That means that maybe I can't go to the beach. Or if I go to the beach, maybe I need to make sure I'm back on Saturday so that I can come to service on Sunday to hear God's word and to fellowship with my brothers and sisters, yeah. right? Committing to serve where he wants me. Yeah. 
Because you know what? I think some of you probably know this. I wasn't necessarily, I hadn't heard God that I needed to lead super kids or that I needed to teach kids. I ran away from kids. I'm a nurse. I intentionally avoided pediatrics. They scared me. But Brian came up to me and said, you know, I've been talking to God, and I think you're supposed to lead super kids. I think you're supposed to lead children's ministry. And I went, you are nuts. But the more I meditated on it, and the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed over it, I needed to do what he asked. I needed to be obedient, and I needed to be all in. I needed to make a commitment. That's a cost. And that cost for our family has been, if we make vacation plans, I need to be back on Saturday because I'm committed to being in super kids. Okay? Not watching or listening to things my flesh wants to. How many times have I turned it to the Kardashians and watched the Kardashians, right? Or how many times have I maybe listened to 95.1 on the radio station? Or how many times have I uh, maybe chosen a movie to watch that maybe wasn't the right thing? Because as Brian has taught us, if you see something that's inappropriate, you have to deal with it. Right? So you have to make a choice. And when you commit to being a disciple, you have to commit to only allowing certain things into your eyes and certain things into your ears. And let me tell you, changing my listening patterns to Christian music on the way to work every day and listening to songs over and over and over again, they're sinking in. He is my strength. He is my foundation. Listening to, to NPR talk radio or listening to secular music certainly hasn't taught me that. So it's all about counting the cost. What's the cost? My flesh doesn't get to listen to the music I like. My eyes don't get to watch the movie that has the sex scenes. That's commitment. That's making a commitment. Not just blowing up anytime someone makes me mad. That's a commitment. Right? It's stopping. It's maybe going in your closet and looking up at God and saying, God, I'm really angry right now. I need you to help me with this. Right? I need you to help me calm down and choose my words wisely because I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to damage a relationship if I don't. Because my words are powerful. Walking in love all the time. So it's not about not walking in love. I have to walk in love. Something came to me a few days ago and it was, you know what, how many times do you think God's gotten frustrated with me and wanted to scream? So what right have I to get mad at anyone when my own heavenly father has probably looked at me and wanted to rack my head against the wall and say, wake up. Probably quite a few. So who am I to cast that judgment on someone else? I'm not. Okay? How about this one? Feeling too embarrassed to pray at work. That's counting a cost. Are you willing to have your colleagues look at you and think that you're funny? Are you willing to actually bring up to your colleagues, can we pray over that? And feeling confident in your own Christian faith that that's okay and the right thing to do? Wow. 
just to sit with one of these for me has been really powerful. Holy cow. And probably the thing that I came to, lastly, was choosing God and not my flesh. Because my flesh gets really comfortable. Right? I like things a certain way. I like to plan. I like to wear certain things. I like to be around certain people. But that isn't necessarily what God calls me to do. Right? That's commitment. That's being absolute. That's being all in. That's not being lukewarm. Right? And what did Jesus say? He spits out lukewarm. Be hot, be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Either be all in or be all out. What did Jim Hockaday say last August when he was here? Are you chucking wood into the spirit train or are you chucking wood into the flesh train? I want to be chucking wood into the spirit train. I don't want to be straddling. I want to be all in. I want him to have my all. So with that, I challenge all of us. I challenge all of us to take pause, take inventory, carve out 15 minutes. It's not much time. 15 minutes, sit with yourself and a piece of paper and count your cost. Count them. And are you willing to make the commitment? Because that's what God's asking for. That's what he wants from all of us. Not just from me, not just from Pastor Brian, not just from Nicole, not just from Barrett or the ELT members, from all of us. All of us. Brian, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, here's the question then. If you're all in, mm -hmm. if you're all in and fully committed to God, what do you own? Nothing. Right. So in other words, you don't own your comfort. You don't own your thoughts. One of the things that came to me, you were like, I can't watch that movie because anything I see or I put in, I have to deal with. Well, that goes for your thoughts as well. Yes. What you decide is okay to think on, now you have to deal with it one way or the other. So what do you own? What right do you have? If you're all in, what right do you have to and, and have an opinion? with God now now the world would look at that and say you mean I can't have an opinion I got my I have opinion and that's what the world's taught you to think uh, but here's the issue when you have a father that loves you the way that he does even my opinion is wrong when it comes to comparing them between his or mine I'm gonna if I have an opinion I need to hand it over to the Lord and say what's your opinion because his opinion always is going to lead me to a better place. So I don't, when I start to see this, it goes back to our options. Mm -hmm. um, I cannot tell you how timely this particular discipleship. Did I not say yeah, that? I know. Yeah. Because not only is it goes right along with what Jim was talking about all week, but it goes right along with the message today. Uh, one of the things that Jim was saying that I love that he and BJ say is, is this, is how you live life is how you will live with God and how you will uh, 
have faith. You know, how you live life is how you'll have faith, how you'll have trust. And it comes down to, are you committed or not? That's what it comes down to. You know, it, these verses basically show that the one who's committed will walk in the things of God, and the one who's not won't. And so when we see the option series was basically this, it was, it's not that you don't have options. If you didn't have options, there wouldn't be a chance to love. God, God's given you a chance to love, so he's given you the option of A and B. But as in love, I need to see that the only choice that I'm giving myself in love is God's option. And so a lot of times when we think that we get to have an opinion or we get to have a choice, the only choice that we have is, Lord, I choose you. And because he's so loving and because he is who he is, that actually makes that the best choice for you and everybody else around you, anybody that's tied to, even people that aren't around you, that makes it the best choice. But it comes back to you either have power in God, you either have a full life or not, based off of are you committed? Are you absolute? Are you set? You know, um, I get, to be honest, yeah, I, I've thought about this a little bit this week. You know, as a as a pastor, and and I really want to separate that whole. Well, you do things right because you're a pastor. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's what the devil will tell you. I do things right because I'm a Christian. I've made a choice to be committed, and I still miss it sometimes. You know, and matter of fact, it's a lot more than I want to. But the fact of the matter is, I set it up a long time ago. I'm not going to give myself a choice that has anything to do with the world or the flesh. Now, and I try to, anytime I see an option where I'm actually considering going after the world or the flesh or watch something I shouldn't watch, anytime I consider that and I recognize it, I want to say, I don't need to do that next time. And so constantly I'm putting down items of the world and the flesh and stepping more into fullness of commitment and absolute living in God. So the only option I see is him. So, but here's the thing, and this is what I was thinking about this week was, you know, pastoring, uh, especially if you really do love people, it can be really irritating. I mean, it really can. And, and you know what? It's not that I want to do it. it. It's I want to do it because I love God and I love you because I love God. And, but some, I mean, it's one of the things is there's so many times where, you know, people are doing things and it's like, would you please stop? And I want it for them more than they want it for them. And that's the most, I mean, that about destroyed Nicole and I the first few years until we learned how to deal with that because we would see somebody and, uh, and they would be going after, you know, uh, the world. And we're like, if you would just turn towards God, all this stuff would work out and they do good do good and then they'd be like all oh, the world i'm going after the world and we're like ah pulling out our hair and and it just it was so frustrating it hurt our hearts because we had invested that time and we had invested effort well see that's just it and that's why the the pain of it was this because we felt like we deserved something because we had invested time but we came to realize i'm not doing this to deserve something. Mm. I'm doing this because I love God. 
And that's when the pain was able to set aside. You know, when you have somebody that irritates you or makes you mad, you don't, you don't, you know, get mad at them or let it go because, uh, because of any other reason than, you know what, I don't have any right to hold on to it. I have zero right. What I deserve is not good, but because of Jesus, I don't have to have that anymore. And so the thing to do is set up in your head when you come to commitment, when you come to be an absolute in, in your living, when it comes to uh, only seeing the God option as the only option, you have to set that in your mind ahead of time. And so when you come up, so let's say I come up to a situation, I've set that in my mind, I don't have any right to hold on to anything, I have no right to be really mad or angry at anybody. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be people aren't going to do things correct and that I can't get frustrated with things. It's that I have no right to hold on to it or let it affect how I make decisions. So let's say that John and I are going through something and he just does something completely wrong. And it is 100% his fault, right? What right when I'm in commitment and absolute nature of committed towards God without seeing anything but godly option, do I have the right to hold that against him? Or make choices. Or what if they bring you your food wrong to your table? See, what you have to do is get to the place where I'm already, I have already forgiven them. I've already seen that even if somebody does something completely wrong, totally against me, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to let it go as soon as it happens. Like it never, like it never happened. Because they are worthy of the forgiveness of Christ just like I am. And that's the absolute nature of it. I'm going to act like it never happened. And I'm going to keep on. Now, if they keep making the same mistake and same mistake, then you know, maybe I can give some guidance. Maybe I can help. But you can't help if you haven't made up your mind to be committed. You know, you have to make that commitment. I'm going to, you have to make up your mind, have a mindset before you ever reach a decision point, like the movie thing. Am I going to watch them? No. Well, the moment you go, well, maybe, what that's showing is that you haven't set your mind on it. You're not committed. You're not absolute. And what Jesus is saying, one of them said, if you're not uh, committed, you don't enter the kingdom of God. Um, well, the kingdom of God, we'll talk about just very briefly this morning, is the domain of the king. And in other words, if you want to get into the domain of the king where he has rule, where he has a right to bless you and bring life to you, the only way you enter that is by being committed. You'll see these people over and over and over again, what Jim was saying, they'll jump all in without leaving themselves a way out. He was quoting A.W. Tozer that said, faith is getting out there where you can't go back, right? Well, taking the, your hands off the roller coaster. Yes, yes. Right? Putting your hands That's in the right. Air. Taking your hands off the wheel of your life and just simply making the choice to follow God. I'm on God's track and I'm going to go and do whatever, wherever he leads me, up, down, left, right, I'm going that direction. The piece that got me, though, as I was going through this was I really meditated on the term commitment. How many of us make commitments having not calculated the cost? Yes. Right? How many of us... Um, what did Jim say? He said, fill in the blank. Talk is cheap. 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 Talk is cheap. We say all the time, we're committed. 
We're committed until we get pissed off. And then you're really not committed all of a sudden. No. <laughs> we're committed until we're uncomfortable. Ugh, yeah. this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't that's talk not commitment. Anymore. No, that's not commitment. Yeah. So if you're faced with something, our job is to not, you know, commit without counting the cost. Yeah. Our yeah, job is to good. pause long enough to say, what is, how is this going to affect me? What am I willing to sacrifice? Because if someone does rub against me wrong, did I count that cost before I made the commitment? And was my commitment truly to God um, in making sure that I saw it through to the end? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's like um, Sherman and I were talking about uh, somebody this morning that had, that had come to the church, and then they kind of saw things differently. They, um, you know, they just, they believed a different way, particularly on a couple of items, and um, they just cut all ties just instantly, like they didn't, you know, see you later, not talking to you, not returning phone calls, anything. Well, number one, that's not love. But what what we ended up, I ended up telling Sherman was, I would love if they'd come back. I'd, I'd love just to talk to them. I just want to love on them. And that's a commitment towards somebody who's really probably done me wrong, right? But who cares? I mean, really, and, and the truth of the matter is, if that's the worst thing that's done to me, I'm doing pretty good, you know? Um, but most people would hold on to that and they would cuss that person and talk bad about that person for years and years and years because they cut ties with you. Well, you're expecting people in the world and in the flesh to not do things fleshly and worldly. It's going to happen. And so it comes back to you're only able to get accomplished what you're committed to do. And God's looking for a full commitment. You're not going to enter into the place where God's power can be released until you are in an absolute nature in your mindset and in your heart and committed. You've counted the cost. People are going to do you wrong. They're probably going to do really, really bad wrong things to you. You're probably going to have the devil try and steal stuff from you. You're going to have him try to set you up. You're going to try him try have uh, steal the seed of the word out of your life. He's going to try and steal promises and destroy and kill. He's going to try and kill your family members. Are you committed? Those are some of the costs. And, and we can sit here in this moment and go, yes, I'm committed, yes. But you really need to think about that day when something happens. You need to think about that day when somebody come. really ticks you off. Think forward towards that day and say, I'm, I'm making up my mind now. This is how I'll respond. Now you're setting your mind on things of the spirit and not on things of the flesh. It's set, and that's where life is. Yes, ma'am. Uh, do I just stand up? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Come on, Barrett. Hey. Hey. Hi. No, um, I think that part of what Brian was saying, too, comes back to the verse that started all of it was you need to hate yourself mm -hmm. more than more than you're really basically you have to put yourself down because if you are putting 
if you're putting yourself first, then when it comes down to, am I committed to forgiving this person or am I committed to loving someone when they do me wrong? If you're putting yourself before that, it's not going to happen because if you love God first, you're automatically going to forgive that person. You're automatically going to let it go because loving that person is loving God because God is in everybody. God's found in each and every single person in each and every situation. So as soon as you can put yourself down, that's a lot of it for me. That's what it comes back down to is the commitment to love God is the commitment to love yourself less. And I think that that's what Brian was saying is it, it comes back to that decision and that choice is, and that's something that I think is really important for us to take away from today is that it's not, I'm committed to God and you walk out the door and hunky dory, you're, you're just great. It's going to be a decision and a decision and a decision and a decision to love yourself less. And that's really, it can be difficult, but when you purpose yourself to, that's Brian wanted to um, emphasize that it's not necessarily a commitment to love your spirit man less, but to love the flesh less. Because your spirit man is always going to want to increase the things of God. Your spirit man is always going to be longing to forgive and to love and to sow that love into people. It's always going to be wanting to do that. But your flesh could very well say, I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to move forward. I want to carry this burden. I want to cuss them out. I want to punch them in the face. Lots of things. Right. But your spirit man is always looking for recognition reconciliation because that's who the father is the father is the god of reconciliation he's the god of commitment god was eternally committed and it was emphasized and shown through jesus jesus didn't punch out people when he very well could have because i'm sure that he could hulk smash better than the hulk but he loved people and that love is what sent him to the grave and caused him to come back because he was committed unto death correct well said So Brian's asked me to read the last paragraph of the teaching again, so I'll read this. Jesus is talking about the closest relationships we will ever have. He is asking for commitment from you, a commitment in which he is preeminent. He wants to be number one in your life. He is going to compare his relationship with you to the closest relationships you have on earth. Hate is a metaphor, a word of comparison. And Jesus is saying, my relationship with you is so important that I want it to be above all earthly things. There is one person you love more than your spouse, your children, your mother, your father, or your sisters and brothers. Do you know who that is? It's not God, it's you. You love yourself more than you love your closest relationships. Why do marriages break up? Why do people divorce? Because they love themselves more than they love their spouse. You're not doing it like I want you to, so I'm getting rid of you. Jesus said, there is one relationship I want to be number one above. It's your own selfish life. This is true discipleship. He is not talking about a no-cost discipleship. He's asking us to follow him. He's asking to be number one in our lives. So let's close in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this time spent together today, Lord, learning about commitment and what your kind of commitment means. That we should pause, count the cost, understand that we need to put down our fleshly man, the world, and turn towards your face. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and mercy. May the seeds of these words be planted deep in our hearts. We thank you for this time spent together today, Lord. May everyone here have a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful holiday weekend, and a great next week. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to add one thing on the end of that, and that's this. All right, so a lot of times we hear a message like this and we're like, man, God's just taken from me my choices. <laughs> Which is what he's asking of you. But here's the thing. What does this kind of commitment produce in your life? What does it produce? And it goes back to that comment. How you do life is how you'll do faith. Yeah. And here's the thing. When you, let me ask this question, when you make a commitment that's an everlasting commitment, you've counted the cost and said, I'm willing to pay the price, I don't have any other option than God, who are you acting like? Jesus. Jesus. You're acting like God, you're acting like the Father, you're doing things the way that he would do, and when you do things and make choices the way that God would make choices, you also walk in the power the way God walks in power. You know what I just got? You get the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. You get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And who doesn't want that? That's what you get when you're all in. Not pieces of that, not parts of that, not a phantom of that. You get that. I want that. And I'm yep. going to have it. Amen. You get the fruit of the Spirit. You get the manifestations of the Spirit. Yes. You get... You get all of that. Why? Because you're acting like God does. You're yes. acting in his nature. You're acting in his character. And when you do that, it's like all the gears in your spiritual life line up to produce the things of God. You start acting like him, talking like him, walking like him, acting like you're his kid. And now all of a sudden when you pray, things happen. Amen. Now all of a sudden things, you know, the grace of God holds off. You know, every attack, yes. you know, every, every uh, arrow that's meant for harm will fall short. Every fiery dart is quenched. No evil will befall you. Yes. See, there is a fruit to this. And a lot of times we just talk about the cost, but there's also a fruit. Why does Jesus want you to pay the price? Because he wants you to receive the fruit so that these things start to produce life in abundance in your life. So you can be the light. Yes. So then others want it. Yes, and then they see it and they're like, I want that, you know. And it comes back to how committed are we? Are we really committed? Are we just, is it just lip service? Amen. Are we just playing the game? Amen. So there's a cost, but there's also fruit. Amen. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you back for the 11 o'clock service. Eighty percent of Brian that you have become has turned into the timeliness. Just love of me. <laughs> Just love me. <laughs> that was really good. I was like, ah, isn't that just fun? <laughs>